Our scripture passage today comes from the prophet Malachi. As we are going through this summer our study of the minor prophets, this is the last one in the Old Testament and the last one we will be looking at this summer. It's prophet Malachi chapter 3 verses 6 to 12. Uh, Before we read, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good Heavenly Father, you have given us every good blessing in our life, and Lord, you have given us your instruction and your guidance, Father, to guide our steps and to direct our path in life. And Father, we know, though, as we approach these holy words, that we can understand nothing written here unless the same Spirit that inspired them would inspire us again. So, Father, we pray you breathe that Holy Spirit upon us, Lord, into our hearts and minds that we may hear, that we may read, and that we may understand your will for us and give us hearts of courage and spirits of transformation that upon hearing, Lord, we can go out and do your will. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is from the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. Listen now to the word of the Lord. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say... How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember one lazy summer afternoon when I was a teenager. I was lounging on the couch at my grandmother's house, just uh, flipping through the channels on the TV because she had cable and we didn't. And so it was just amazing, just channel after channel. I didn't want to watch anything. I just wanted to see what was out there, just flipping through channels. Well, I finally stopped on a televised worship service. So I saw something on the screen that at at first confused me, then astounded me, and then ashamed me. Because there in the studio, the pastor had set up like this altar. And, And on this altar was a bowl, and out of this bowl there were flames coming out. And there was another guy 
he, was, had, he had like a handful of money. I got, I'm assuming it was fake money. And he was throwing it on the fire. He was walking around just, just tossing this money on the fire. And so I was intrigued and watched a little bit. And the pastor was, was talking about what he was doing, throwing this money on the fire. He said he was burning debt. He said he was burning debt. He was burning the debt of his followers. He was burning the debt of the supporters of this channel. And if he wanted, he would burn your debt too. And the only way to burn the debt was you would take 10% of whatever it is your debt amounted to, and you send it to him, and he would burn the rest of your debt for you. That's right. 10% of your, whatever you owed, you could send to him, and he would pray to God, and God would remove that debt. That means if you owed $10,000 of debt, send him 1000 he would pray, God would remove the debt. You owed 100000 send 10000 to him, he would pray, God would remove that debt. Debt-free at only 10 cents on the dollar. I remember watching that, and it was a show, as I was watching, my, my kids would describe it as cringy. And, and I use that word because it's a great word to use, because... That was how I felt watching it. It was cringy. I was cringing inside. I was watching. I was thinking, how can he say this? How can he get up there with a straight face and make that claim? Especially to people who are already in debt. And getting them to send him more money. I was also astounded because of the, the, the way he was portraying the church. And I knew that the enemies of the church would use that as just more ammunition. Oh, look at this guy, just another, another dirty preacher who's wanting to scam his congregation. And another part of me was astounded because he was like, how can this guy just get up there and ask for money so shamelessly? See, I think it was part of my upbringing, and maybe if you were raised in the South, raised the same way, as you just, you don't talk about money. Money's not something that we talk about a lot. And you certainly don't ask people for money. And the one thing you never, ever, ever do is ask somebody how much money they make. That is like a, that is like a, a, a deadly sin in the South, asking somebody how much money they make. I even got in trouble once for asking someone how much their car was worth. I remember it was, a, it was at church, actually, one day. A guy drove up. And this new Pontiac Firebird, it was, oh, it was shiny, it was a beautiful car. And the first thing out of my mouth was, wow, how much did that cost? Well, my mom was standing beside me, and she was mortified. The look on her face, she was, no, no, stop it, stop it. I had no idea what I did wrong, but later she said, we don't do that. You don't ask people how much their car's worth. It's rude. So I'll say this all to you today to let you know how uncomfortable I am this morning. Because today we're talking about tithing. We're talking about giving and the relationship our tithing and giving ties to our faith. And I know, I know you don't like to hear it always. I know it makes some people uncomfortable. But I promise you, as uncomfortable as you are hearing this, you're not near as uncomfortable as I am saying it makes me very uncomfortable this morning, but something I should talk about. It's something I do need to talk about because it is important in your faith life, and it's important for a few reasons. 
The first reason it's important is because your giving and your giving to the church is a part of your worship. It is a part and a critical way in which we worship God by bringing to him a portion of what he's blessed us with. That's the first reason it's important. The second reason it's important is giving to God and giving back to God is one of the ways in which we can secure some financial prosperity. Yes, right. You heard me right. You heard me right that giving back to God is the ways in which we can become blessed financially. Now, I know what you're thinking. At least a lot of you. I know what's going through your head. You sound a lot like that guy on the television out there making this bold promise about financial prosperity through giving to the church. Believe me, I know what it sounds like coming out of my mouth. Okay, but one of the reasons so many preachers with, can we say, less than pure intentions have been able to scam congregations and be able to scam believers is because there is a grain of truth in what they're saying. There is a grain of truth in what they're preaching about. And that grain of truth is simple. Whatever you trust God with, you will be blessed and prosper. Whatever, you, whatever it is you trust God with, you will be blessed and prospered in that thing. So if you want to be blessed in something, you trust God with it. Trust God with it, and you will be blessed, and that includes finances. That includes our personal finances. And if you trust in God with your finances, there is, in fact, a very, very bold promise that God attaches to it. I'll get to that promise in just a minute. But today is a perfect day to talk about giving, to talk about tithing. Because today we're looking at the book of Malachi. In our study of the minor prophets this summer, we're at, down to the very last prophet. This is the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And in this book, the prophet Malachi, God is speaking through the prophet Malachi and reminding Israel of the source of their blessing. And reminding Israel the source of their blessing, of their security, and also the source of their prosperity. So we're somewhere in the, in the neighborhood of 400 B.C. Okay, the, the, nation, uh, the nation of Israel has been through so much. They went through the kingdoms. The kingdoms were split. They were attacked by Babylon. They were carried off into, into, into slavery, into Babylon. Then Babylon was taken over by Persia. Then they were allowed to go back to, to Jerusalem. And so they're, they're here back in their own land again, and they're rebuilding their nation, and they've rebuilt the temple, and, um, and they're trying to rebuild the kingdom. But at the same time, things just, they're not going so great. Things aren't really working out the way they thought they would. They're, they're not gaining the, the, the national prominence, and the kingdom's not being restored like they thought it was going to. And the people are starting to wonder why. Like How can we're not being blessed in a greater way that God has blessed us? And so God speaks to the prophet Malachi, and he, and he goes to deliver the message to Israel to tell them why they're not being blessed like they think they should be. And he tells them, you've got some problems, some big problems going on with your worship life right now. He said, first of all, you're supposed to be bringing me your best. He says, but you're not. 
like the, 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 the best and the first fruits of your field, the best and the first fruits of your trees, the, the, the best uh, of your flocks and your herds. But they're not bringing the best. They're bringing like the second best or the third best. And sometimes they're bringing their very worst. God says, you're not bringing me your best, so you're not being blessed. Another problem they're having is, is with the priest. The priests aren't given the, the right instruction. They're not teaching the people the right way, so people aren't getting the right direction. Another one of the problems that, that God points out to the people of Israel is the way they're treating their wife. He says, he even tells, he addresses to certain men, he says, you're wondering why things aren't going great in your life. It's because the way you treated, as he calls it, the wife of your youth. And what's happening is the, these, these guys, when their wives are getting old or are divorcing their wives and presumably marrying younger women, and then things aren't going well in their life. And God's saying, it's because of the way you're treating the wife of your youth. Now, among these problems, there is another big way that Israel is falling down on the job. And that's in their tithes and offerings. Is they're not bringing the gift to the temple and to the synagogue, and, and in our day it would be gift to the church that they're supposed to be bringing. You see, ever since God set up the worship life of the Israelites, he set it up in, in, in a way that the, that the temple or the church or the place of worship could always be active and open. That people could, could always come to it and there will always be a place where they can come and they can worship God. And, and there's no charge for doing this. Okay, there's no charge at all. It's, it's free for anyone who wants to come into these doors and worship God with us. That's why we don't sell tickets at the doors you come in. We don't, we don't charge you for the seat, even to save your seat, even though some of you would like to do that. We're not going to let you buy the seat and therefore save it. But that's why we don't charge for blessings. We don't charge for the lessons and for the Bible studies. It's, and it's not a business. And, and because we need to be open to all and to give it to all despite their ability to give and to be free to everyone, the only way it operates now is through donations, is through tithes, is through people giving of what God has given to them back to the church so the life of worship can continue. But it wasn't just economic reasons. It wasn't just to have the, the physical functioning of the church that, that God told his people to give. There's a more important function that comes when we tithe and we give back to God. See, every time we tithe and we give to God, we are worshiping God with our money. That is a critical way in which we worship God. And taking what he's given us and give it back to him is a form of worship. And this, again, goes all the way back to ancient times. It's not something that was invented in the church. It's not something they cooked up in the 20th century to raise money. This goes back to the very beginning when God was establishing his worship through Israel. They had this big festival. It was the festival of the first fruits. And you got the first bit of grain that came up and the finest, and you took that first tenth, which is the word, what the word tithe means, and you would bring it to the temple. You would get the, the first animals that were born to your flocks, your herds, and you would take that and you would sacrifice into the temple. You would take those first fruits that came off of your tree and you would take it and you would bring it into the temple of God. And by taking what God has given you and bringing it back to him, you're first of all acknowledging that God is the source of your provision. 
And you're acknowledging that he is the one that is giving to you, so you are giving back. But in also giving back to God what he's giving to us, it's, it's an act of faith, as in you're trusting him with your future provision. We know that we can give this to you because you are the one that provides for us. And we're trusting you with what you have given to us, knowing that you are all, always ready to bless and give us the things that we need. But more importantly, it's a form of worship. It's saying, God, you get my best. My first and my best and the finest things that I have go back to you because you deserve it. Because you're God and they all belong to you anyway. And me just giving back is really just a symbolic act because everything belongs to you. But it's me and my heart and my life acknowledging that the best is given to you. And the best always belongs to our God. So giving is a part of worship. And it is a critical part of the life of every single believer. But something else happens when we tithe. And this is the, the bold promise that I referred to earlier. This bold promise that we get here in the prophet Malachi. I want to read you again. This is from verse 10. This is what the Lord says to his people. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that I will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. He says, bring the tithe. He says, bring the full tithe into me. And he says, and I will open the windows of heaven. He says, I will open the windows of heaven and I will pour out a blessing into your life. And moreover, not only pouring out a blessing, he says he's going to rebuke this, this thing, whatever it is called the devourer. That, that, that force that, that destroys what you build. It makes your plants rotten. It makes your tomatoes fail. It... Um, makes your house fall apart. It makes the things that you try to do always fail. That's the devourer. And God says, I'm going to rebuke that devourer, that, that force of destruction. I'll hold them back for you so you'll succeed in the things that you do. But it's not just a promise of prosperity. I don't know if you noticed this, but God tells us here to test him. He says, do it, test me. He's giving you permission, the only place in the Bible that I can think of, that he's giving you permission to test him. Now, normally, putting God to the test is a really bad idea. I mean, it will backfire every time, blow up in your face in epic ways if you try to put the God to the test. This may be the one exception, is in tithing and giving to God. He says, test me. Go ahead, try it, test me. Bring it to me and see if I don't, in return, pour out a blessing on your life. Now, we're not talking about magic here, okay? We're not talking about, well, it is a miracle, but not profound miracle. It's not the kind of, like, you give to the church and you're going to open up your bank account and find a million dollars in there somehow. It's not that kind of operation we're talking about. It's actually a very simple principle at work here. And we see it mentioned many times throughout Scripture. 
Whatever you trust God with will prosper and be blessed. Whatever you trust God with will prosper and be blessed. So if you want something to be blessed, you want something to prosper, you want something to bear fruit, you trust it to God. Now the way we trust God with something is to act according to his commands. So however God commanded you to act towards something, if you trust him and you act in that way and you obey him in that way, then God will bless you in that way. It's a simple matter of trusting in his ways. Let me give you an example. If you want your relationship with your children to be prosperous and blessed, then you trust God with your children. And the way you trust God with your children is to raise your children the way God has commanded you to raise them. And you do that and you'll be prosperous and blessed in the relationship with your children. And that means you give them discipline. That means you give them love. That means you raise them and you teach them in the faith. That means you pray with them and pray over them. And I cannot just reinforce that enough about praying with your kids and praying over your kids. It means teaching them right from wrong. It means that, that part in the Bible where it says, do not provoke your children to wrath. And sometimes we do that without even knowing it. Does that mean your kids will be perfect? No. Does that mean your relationship with your kids will be perfect? No. It does mean it will be blessed and it will be prosperous. The same is true of marriage. If you want your marriage relationship to be prosperous and blessed, then you trust it to God. And you conduct your marriage the way God commanded you to conduct a marriage. That means being faithful in the covenants that you have made. That means wives loving, uh, husbands loving your wives, wives respecting your husbands. That means being patient with one another, enduring with one another, forgiving with one another, being compassionate with one another. Does that mean you'll have a perfect marriage? No. But it does mean your marriage will be prosperous and blessed. Of course, both parties have to do that. The same principle is true with money. Trust God with your money. Conduct your finances according to his ways and you will be blessed and prosperous. That means be honest in all of your dealings. Don't steal. Be fair. Work hard. Invest wisely. Spend wisely. Don't be consumed with greed or obsessed with money. Keep money in its proper place in your life. And a critical piece is to acknowledge God with your wealth. Acknowledge and trust God with what he is giving you and give back to him. Bring the tithe into his house. Will this give you perfect finances? No. But it will make you blessed and prosperous. Prophet Malachi says, you need to bring the tithe so that there will be food in God's house. See, this was an, an agricultural barter economy, and that is the way that they provided for the temple. He's talking about the upkeep of the church and the house of God. If we were to write it again in today's words, we would say, bring the tithe so that there will be air conditioning in God's house, so we can pay our mortgage, so we can keep the lights on. But if I'm being honest with you, 
It's really not about that. Because there are a lot of ways that God could have provided for his church. There are a lot of ways that God could have raised money for his church. He could have made the church a business. It made it very wealthy. He could have told the church you need to bake bread and, and sell bracelets in order to raise money to keep the doors open. But he didn't do that. Because it's not just about provision for the church. He wants you to provide for the church. He wants the provision for the church to come from his people. Just like the ministry of the church, he doesn't want it to be all done by professionals. He wants you to do the ministry of the church. He wants you to do the work of missions. He wants you to do the work of evangelism. And he wants you to be the one to support his house. Because he wants your life to be your worship. He wants everything in your life to be your worship. Your job, your family, and yes, your finances too. For all of it to be a part of your worship. He wants you to trust him with everything that you have. Trust him with your job. Trust him with your family. And yes, trust him with your money too. Now, I don't say any of this today to raise money. All right, I promise you, I'm not saying this to you in order for the church to raise money and get rich. You can believe me or not, but I promise you that's not my motivation today. I say these things to you today because it is a critical piece of your worship. It's a critical piece of our devotion and faith life to God. For some people, it is the missing piece of their worship life. And I say it's our duty, but it's actually our privilege to worship God with everything we have. And the more valuable it is to us, the more profound the worship it is to Him. It's our privilege to trust God with all that we have. The more valuable it is to us, the more profound, the more precious the worship is to God. To learn to trust God is one of the great lessons of life. It may be the lesson of life. To trust Him enough to know that all of our provision comes from his hand to trust him enough to know that his way is the way of blessing to trust him enough to know that no matter what we give him it will never compare to what he has given us to God be all the glory forever and ever amen